Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome or welcome back. This is another episode of the Defining Decade podcast. I am your host, Anna Vanettis, and I am so happy to have you here with me today. I created this show as a way for us 20-somethings to gather in one place and connect on this journey of growth, healing, and adulthood. A person's 20s is a time of discovery, unpredictability, and self-realization, and knowing that you are not alone makes this time a bit more manageable. That is my goal for this podcast and this episode for sure, to create a community to uplift and support one another, to have difficult conversations, and to fill one another's lives with love and positivity. I had to get on here and start recording right now because I was stressing over my little script that I like to write out before I record episodes. I always have some notes, um, some pointers, whatever the case may be, but I was scrolling on Instagram because I was avoiding writing the script, (laughs) um, procrastination at its finest. And I was watching a story on Instagram and it was like, share your story because it might help someone. It might save their life. And it it hit me because this week's episode is my story with an eating disorder, my story of my eating disorder and what I went through and all the shit that happened to me during that, just so that people don't feel alone. So they don't feel that they're alone in this. This week's topic is a bit heavy. Like I just said, I will be getting very vulnerable. This is a big story for me that I have never publicly talked about in depth, but I think it is finally my time. I am in a healthy place and I want to help others that may be struggling. That's my biggest goal for today. I really just want to help anyone listening that might be struggling with something similar. I will be discussing eating disorders and certain details having to do with societal beauty standards at the end. If these topics are triggering for you or you fear that they may be, feel free to click off now and come back next week. There's no hard feelings whatsoever. Do what you need to do to keep yourself healthy. That's my main concern here. That's the main priority. Don't feel bad if you don't want to listen to this week's episode. Just click off and I'll see. I'll talk to you next week. Not see. <laughs> I will not be discussing specific weights or measurements concerning my body or anyone else's as I feel that is extremely unnecessary and contradictory to my goal here. I don't want to focus on my lowest weight or anything of that sort. I'm really genuinely just talking about my experience. Having suffered myself and actively in recovery, I will be sharing bits and pieces of my story, leaving out the unnecessary and potentially harmful details. I will also be covering the facts of this disorder and specific techniques that have helped me on my journey to becoming fully recovered. But remember, 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 we are all different. My story will not be the same as yours and what helped me may not help you. This is purely just my account of the illness in hopes that I can share my story and make at least one person feel less alone. So again, I'm not giving tips or tricks or anything of the sort. I'm genuinely just sharing what I went through personally to just have my story out there because I think it's time for me to tell it. 
In honor of National Eating Disorder Awareness Week this past week, which is what inspired this episode, I decided to join in on the conversation and record this episode. My goal here is to spread awareness and education on a mental illness that is extremely deadly and affects millions of people, 28.8 million Americans every year to be exact. My first vivid memory of me acting on my eating disorder is when I was 13. I one day, completely out of nowhere, completely out of the blue, decided that I wanted to be a vegetarian. I actually remember this day quite vividly. (laughs) I went into the kitchen. My mom was cooking and she was making a stir fry. Actually, I I remember it. And I was like, mom, I want to be a vegetarian. And she's like, she like laughed it off. She was like, okay, we'll see how long this lasts. Keep in mind, I might have been 12 at the time, but I was 12 or 13. We'll say 13 just for the sake of the conversation. And that night I didn't eat the meat that she had made with the stir fry. I had peppers, onions, and rice. And from there I did not touch meat again until later on, but I'll get into that later. Um, And yeah, I mean, I just thought that I think that me remembering that is such a crazy thing because it's so vivid in my brain it's such a core memory for me at this point that it it will not go away. (laughs) Everyone else in my family ate meat. No one else was a vegetarian. And although I have always loved animals so, so much, like my love for animals has been huge my entire life. My reasoning in all honesty was not to save the animals. That was just the added bonus. My intention behind this decision was restriction. And that's me admitting that now when I was When I decided to be a vegetarian then, I was one, sick, so I wasn't going to admit that I had a problem with eating, that this was an eating disorder, and two, I didn't really understand it fully, that I was purposely doing something that would restrict what I could and quote-unquote could not eat, you know? At 13 years old, I had decided to make a life-altering decision based solely on wanting to be thinner. And that my heart absolutely breaks for that girl and actively following through with recovery is for myself now, of course, but also for her because she didn't deserve what would manifest after this initial choice. She didn't deserve anything that I put her through or my past self put her through or really this, this disease put her through. I followed through with extreme dedication that one may call obsession, which would be an accurate description. Typical eating disorder behaviors followed, eating in secret, skipping meals, counting calories, and the list goes on. I was in middle school at this point, and I don't really remember ever eating lunch in middle school. (laughs) Maybe here or there, but it was... It's insane to me to think about now, and it's quite emotional to tell the story because I was a child. I was a child. It didn't click in my brain that this was destroying my mental and physical health, or I just didn't care. I I think I knew that something was wrong, and I could connect the dots. I wasn't stupid. I was a child, but I wasn't dumb. But when you are in that state of mind, And if you struggle with an eating disorder, you know that voice is stronger than anything else. Stronger than reason, honestly. It was like tunnel vision. I had one goal and one goal only, to lose weight. And then I would, quote unquote, be happy. I was not an overweight child by any means. 
And so there are numerous places these thoughts could have manifested. After some deep self-reflection and shadow work, my best guess is that it was my environment. Having heard about weight loss, calories, dieting, and the term fat only used in a negative light definitely tainted the way my prepubescent brain viewed my own body. My body image was forever altered because of this. I was also a preteen during the fabulous Tumblr era when content labeled as thinspo was spread far and wide just waiting for my impressionable eyes to come across it and come across it I did. I definitely blame Tumblr partially for me having an eating disorder. It, it was not who let me on there honestly. I would now consider that year between 13 and 14 a year of restriction and fad diets. I was dieting as a preteen. I even caved into the fat-free phenomenon. I dabbled in intermittent fasting. I, I was doing all of it. It was ridiculous, honestly. 14 was when I started doing CrossFit. Um, I was a freshman in high school and anyone that knows me or has been around for that long, you know how I feel about CrossFit and weightlifting. I love this sport still to this day. I was competing competitively throughout high school and I was, I was really good at it. I was really good at it. Obviously for a sport as physically demanding as this and for me to excel in it, I had to be eating. I was still a vegetarian for most of it. There's a part um, about three months when I was 16 that I started eating meat because I was under the impression that I needed to not be a vegetarian, that I needed to eat meat to get the proper protein, which is just not the case at all. It's That's completely false. But anyway, I was definitely eating significantly more. The difference being now I was counting my macros. So this is a whole new realm of disordered eating. For those that don't know, counting macros is basically keeping track of how many grams of carbs, fats, and protein you eat throughout the day. So let me just say that counting macros can be an amazing tool, especially when you're in a sport such as CrossFit or weightlifting or powerlifting. Sometimes it's necessary. But for me, this became an obsessive behavior. I, I would sit in bed before I went to sleep at night and plan out my day of eating down to the half a tablespoon of peanut butter. I had to hit every macro perfectly. I would weigh my food. As a 14, 15-year-old, I was using a food scale to weigh my food. And see, there is a balance. There is a healthy balance. But with someone that has a history of restriction and just disordered thinking and disordered behavior involving food and eating, this was not, this was not something that I should have been doing. But I kept my disorder on the down low. I kept my disease on the down low. I was very secretive, as many are. I was hiding it from as many people as possible. No one really noticed, honestly. Clearly, this wasn't healthy either. Even though, yes, I was eating more, I was still displaying eating disorder traits. Obsessively tracking food is not what someone without an eating disorder does. That's not what a healthy relationship with food looks like. Long story short, this was not sustainable. Shocker. And I resorted back to old habits. From here, my physical performance was suffering because I was simply not fueling my body properly. So this didn't all happen at once. I was counting macros for a while. And then I was, even when I wasn't counting macros as obsessively or as intricately, I was still eating enough food 
Um, there were just different eating disorder traits and qualities that went along with that. But when I was about 16 to 17, I was working as a waitress at a local diner. So my days look something like this. Wake up, go to school, walk to my CrossFit gym right after. It was, it was close. Work for work out for about an hour um, or two, depending on what kind of time I had. Change and walk to work, which was also close, conveniently enough. Work until about eight or nine on some days. Go home and shower and do some homework. My days were long. My days were very long and I was young. Um, due to not feeding myself enough food, there were days when I was so fatigued, I would go home and just crash. I wouldn't do anything else. I wouldn't eat dinner. <laughs> ha ha ha. Shocker. Not so much. Or if I didn't eat dinner, but I was still counting my macros, I would freak out that I missed a meal. Um, it was a mess. Honestly, I ended up slowly cutting down on the amount that I went to train. And this is really when things took a turn for the worst. CrossFit was something that I loved is something that I love. And when I stopped doing it because I was so depressed because of my eating disorder, it really took an even bigger toll on my mental health. I didn't have that outlet anymore. And even though I may have not have been in a state to properly train or train the way that I wanted to at the time, I stopping was honestly terrible for me. I went through many ups and downs with this disorder. <laughs> There weren't any ups, actually. It was all downs. Um, Quasi-recovering, as the community calls it, and falling back into old habits when life got difficult or when I simply didn't like myself. My brain was very mean to me. Very, very mean to me. I So to fast forward just a bit, I had an all-time low last summer, the summer of 2022. I was simply not eating. And when I did, I felt so insanely guilty for it which is very common behavior for people that struggle with an eating disorder. My hunger cues stopped altogether. And it was when I started feeling like I was going to faint that I knew I had to consume something. I was drinking way too much caffeine, staying up all night way, way too often and completely running myself ragged by making myself so tired that I could barely function. I was satisfying something in my eating disorder brain, as I like to call it. I, I don't, really have the specifics or, or why this was the case. I think that by constantly in go mode, go, 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 I was tricking my brain into thinking that this was making me thinner. I really don't know what it was, but it was something and it was, it was itching. It was itching that part of my brain really well. <laughs> During this time, I would walk around grocery stores as an activity looking at all the food I quote unquote couldn't eat, but really just wouldn't allow myself to eat. This was a pastime for me. I would do it on my lunch breaks. I wouldn't eat lunch. I would just go to the grocery store and look at the food. I was obsessively making sure that I walked well over 10,000 steps, pacing around my apartment if it was later at night and I hadn't hit my goal yet. I looked very sick. I was green in the face. I was hollow. It wasn't, it wasn't a good time. And the part that hurts my heart in a way I can't fully explain is that I enjoyed looking sick. My hair was thinning. My hair was something that always used to keep me warm, but it simply was not capable of that anymore. My body didn't have nutrients to support long, luscious hair. My bones physically hurt. I never thought bones could hurt before. They, they physically hurt. I was always tired, 
even when I slept for 12 hours at a time, because I was so insanely tired, sleep debt, look into it, it's a real thing. I would stare at the food, having an entire inner dialogue with myself the entire time, going back and forth between eat the food and whatever you do, do not eat the food. I was so afraid of consuming anything at all. I counted the calories in gum, in gum. I was afraid that once I started, I wouldn't stop, which was often true for the occasions that I would eat. I mean, my body was so malnourished that when it got food, my brain just set off something and it was like more and more and more and more and more. And I, I did binge. There were nights when I did binge, of course, as many do. Anyway, I had an insane nicotine and caffeine addiction, mainly to suppress my appetite. Nicotine didn't make me feel good. Nicotine never made me feel good but it made me less hungry. I was always cold. Keep in mind it was summer. I would start shivering in 80 degree weather, shivering in 80 degree weather. The body checking was so excessive. I would not stop recording myself. I had to make sure I had a thigh gap, even though my body is not built for a thigh gap. And keep in mind, that's okay. I am more than okay with that now. At a certain time, I was traveling to and from the city and New Jersey And on the hour and a half train ride, I would watch or read or listen to any and all eating disorder content I could find. I was so sick. It hurt. It consumed me mentally, physically, and emotionally. And at this point, I knew I was sick. I wasn't sure if there was any coming back from it because I was getting so comfortable in this self-torture loop. I was terrified of being stuck in this illness, yet I didn't want to change. And at, at the same time, no one noticed this was happening. It, it was all happening inside my head. It was a war inside my head. I was causing a war on my body because of the war that was going on in my head, and no one noticed. And it's not anyone's fault that they didn't notice. Or maybe they did, but it wasn't their responsibility. It was not their responsibility. And I hear that a lot in the community, like, and no one noticed me suffering. All I needed was someone to notice. And that would be great, right? For someone to be like, hey, are you okay? But at the same time, it's really, it's really not their responsibility to do that. And that's something that I have come to accept while in recovery. That's not something I accepted during that time. During that time, it was always oh, poor me. Oh, I'm the victim. And I was, I was the victim of this illness. But at the same time, I was a nightmare (laughs) to people around me because I was so malnourished. Anyway, I've come to realize that for myself, as well as so many others that struggle with eating disorders, engaging in this behavior is a coping mechanism. Starving, purging, binging, They are all coping mechanisms for something bigger. And this ties into what I was just saying. Sometimes or a lot of times, at least for me and for many others as well, I don't want to speak for everyone though. This is a behavior of I want someone to notice, someone pay attention to me. Someone notice that there's something wrong. And this can stem from a million things, abuse as a child, lack of attention as a child, a relationship that you don't feel appreciated in, a million things, but it's often a cry for help. The first step in recovery for me was genuinely wanting to get better. The next was figuring out what it was that I was avoiding. Why was I using my illness to self-soothe? 
why was I so intent on being as sick as possible just so someone that just so that someone would notice me? The answer is a story for another time, which I do want to do an episode on the psychology of that and my story of how I got through that and what I noticed about myself. But it's something that's important for us all to ask ourselves because we all self-soothe self-soothe one way or another, whether you have experienced an eating disorder or not. Unfortunately, some of the symptoms followed me into recovery. My hair started falling out even more. I'm still working on reversing that damage, but it was so frustrating that I was now giving my body what it needed and fueling it properly but I had done so much damage that there were still consequences to pay. I even have a few gray hairs now and I'm only 21. Keep in mind that's partly genetics, but part of it is also me not properly nourishing my body. The list of struggles and recovery is long, but I feel as though that is also a separate episode for another time. Even though there are still hardships because of this disorder, I am so thankful that I have been able to get better. Fuck diet culture. Fuck intermittent fasting. Fuck clean eating. I I really don't care what it is. Anything that someone's promoting in terms of eat this, not that, is diet culture. Eat what makes you feel good. That means what makes your soul feel good too. Sometimes all we need is a cookie and some ice cream and fuck it. That's fine. That is more than okay. It's healthy. Balance is healthy. Healing my relationship with food is one of the kindest things I have ever done for myself. And it has propelled my healing journey and my spiritual journey and my confidence and my love for myself. I am so much more confident now. I'm so much more confident now. And I weigh more. And I, 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 definitely look like I weigh more, but guess what? I'm happy. I'm happy and I'm eating and I'm properly fueled. I have always loved cooking and instead of pawning off my creations to others, I can now enjoy them alongside my loved ones. I baked cookies the other day for my girlfriend and I got to eat some too. I didn't tell her to take them away because I was afraid of the temptation. I, they're still in my house and guess what? I can have a few here and there. Every day I am working to heal from the years of damage this this disease has put me through. But every day I get further and further away from my eating disorder. And for that, I am beyond grateful. So now would be the time when we get into societal beauty standards and why they are fucking bullshit. Society likes to treat people's bodies like they're trends. Right now, we're going through a little early 2000s trend cycle, which also promotes anorexia, essentially. There was a magazine cover that went around or magazine article that went around that was basically saying that heroin chic is back. I shouldn't have to explain why this is detrimental to society. And quite frankly, you shouldn't need it explained either. But I bet if you're listening to this episode, you don't need it explained. You do know why this is harmful to society. I think that beauty standards in general are ridiculous. So the beauty industry is constantly feeding off of insecurities, mainly insecurities of women, but men too. And that's the problem as well. 
we usually only talk about women in this aspect. And although they are affected a lot more statistically, men are affected as well. And to not include them in the conversation of beauty standards or in the conversation of eating disorders is very is a very detrimental thing that society does as well. Society as a whole is detrimental, just to, to sum it up. <laughs> but the beauty the beauty industry does feed off of our insecurities, makeup, skincare, fashion, all of it. They want you to buy their product because it'll fix your life. That's the way that they advertise it. And I could I could pick a million advertisements that are so awful and you may not even realize that they're awful, but when you actually start looking at them, you're like what the fuck? Why why is this why does this exist exist? Why is this a thing? Just for the sake of proving a point, I'm going to draw from my own experiences and use something that we all see on a daily basis, social media. So to go back to me talking about Tumblr earlier, even if you weren't explicitly looking up Thinspo content, you were constantly scrolling and seeing thin, conventionally beautiful white women. Honestly, they all looked almost identical. And the same thing is happening on apps such as TikTok. You hear of white content creators going viral so much more often than people of color. Why is that? It, it, draw, it all goes back to the same overarching theme. Society's beauty standards, they are still wrapped up in European Eurocentric white features. That's what society deems as beautiful. And we are finally, finally, finally starting to draw away from that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that society is still detrimental when it comes to setting beauty standards. One minute you have a thick BBL body type in in, tre- in trending, basically. And the next you have heroin chic, super, super thin trending. No one can achieve these things especially not at the rate that trends are coming and going nowadays. I mean, we have celebrities removing BBLs because now they have a new societal beauty standard to conform to. And to talk about that, most celebrities are also editing their pictures on social media. Social media is just a highlight reel. People only post their best moments on social media. And this is starting to be talked about more overall altogether as you can see, I just threw out like 10 different points all at once because this this topic is just so intricate and it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Several studies have proven that beauty standards directly contribute to anxiety and depression. Body standards create an immense sense of pressure among teenagers and young adults to achieve a perfect body. Think about Think about yourself because I'm sure it's happened to you. You've probably wanted to change something about yourself because of something that you saw online or something that someone said or something that someone said on TV. You should be like this, not like that. I mean, people getting lip fillers, that's a trend now. Why? Because fuller lips are trending. When I was younger, I used to be made fun of for having fuller lips for a white girl. My lips aren't big, but they are fuller for being white. And having grown up in a predominantly white town, I got made fun of for it. And guess what? Those same people are now getting lip fillers to what? Conform to society's beauty standards. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I feel for all of us because it's so detrimental to our mental health. And there's really no escaping it unless you shut off your phone 
and stay by yourself for a while because it's always being talked about. A new clothing piece is trending. Uh, a new, there's always something new. And that that's, that's the downside of it. Beauty standards can also trigger body dysmorphia and distorted eating. Shocker. I mean, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you're constantly being told that you should look like this or you should have this feature or your butt needs to be, be bigger, your lips need to be fuller, but your waist needs to be super, 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 super tiny and you need to have a defined stomach, but also you need to have big boobs too. Like it, it really just doesn't make sense. Oh, wait, no. Big boobs aren't trending anymore. They have to be small. Oh, wait, don't have a big butt. You need to wear low-rise low jeans, low-waisted jeans. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make here? It's all a game, and it's all, honestly, a marketing technique, too. Many companies feed off of conventional beauty standards and, therefore, our insecurities. The beauty industry, skincare industry, and fashion industry, all of these industries are trying to get you to buy their product so that you can, quote-unquote, achieve the look and feel included. Societal beauty standards, therefore, cause overconsumption as well, which is destroying our planet. We are constantly buying new things to try and fit in, and the media will never stop trying to make you think you are lacking something because that is how money is made. At the end of the day, beauty standards do not truly exist. They're made up. They're a made-up concept. They are not real. We are not our bodies. We are not our appearance. We are human beings with feelings and souls and thoughts and ideas. And we deserve to be treated as such by others and by ourselves. This all begins with how we treat ourselves. That is the lesson of the day. Treat yourself with kindness. Do the things that you love and surround yourself with people that uplift you. I truly believe that we are all so beautiful in our own way. After all, we have all been divinely created. And with that, I would like to say thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Share this with a loved one if you took away something valuable or if you feel as though it may help someone who needs it. Remember that you are beautiful, that you are loved, and that you are so much more than your body. Our bodies are just our vessels to travel through this human experience with, which I think is such a beautiful thing. If you have further questions or thoughts or honestly anything at all, feel free to DM me on Instagram, either my personal page or the podcast page. It doesn't matter which one. Make sure to follow and rate this podcast if you feel so inclined. It helps me out so much. And thank you to those that have followed on Spotify. I didn't know there were a few of you. Thank you. I love you and I appreciate you. You can check out the podcast page on Instagram at Defining Decade Diaries, as well as my personal Instagram at Anna Venetis. Both are linked in the description so that you can follow along on my personal journey and receive updates on the show or reach out about anything at all. Have a beautiful day or night. We will talk next week. I'm so excited. In the meantime, reach out on Instagram or TikTok and let me know what you thought of this week's episode. You are divinely loved. Stay blessed, beautiful people. I love you so much. Bye. This is our defining decade.